0: Welcome back to season two, episode forty-nine of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santamare, and I'm going to be your host today. We have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Pastor Noe Garcia and have a phenomenal conversation with him about Romans chapter eight and uh, his book Repurposed. Really appreciate his open and his openness, his honesty, his transparency. Yeah, just it's very refreshing and uh, just was phenomenal. Learn. from from him, spend time with him. He's just a phenomenal conversationalist, and it was a, it was a great time to spend with him. Do want to wish you all Merry Christmas. This will be the the episode coming out the week of Christmas for twenty twenty one, and do want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. I know this Christmas is going to probably look a little different than the Christmases in the past, but do want to let you know from us at the Clarity Podcast, we wish you a Merry Christmas and uh, looking forward to the new year. We got some special episodes coming up um, in the coming weeks um, as we transition to the new year, but just want to wish. You a Merry Christmas. Do you want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth? And that's where we sit down with Dick Foth and he answers listeners' uh, questions. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our new friend with us today, Noe Garcia. Noe, am I saying your name correct? I do know uh, my name, Santa Maria gets butchered um, nine ways and sideways, but I uh, just want to make sure I'm saying your, your first name correct. Well, it's Noe. Noe. Okay. Yes. Well, there we so go. It means there- it,
1: in Spanish, it's Noe. Okay. Um, and so it's always been Noe in English. Okay. Okay. And it means Noah. It means Noah. Very so cool. very cool. There you go.
0: Well, I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I asked. So I didn't want to yes, call sir. you the wrong name throughout the podcast. So well, anyway. I
1: wouldn't have corrected you, so that would have been okay.
0: <laughs> well, I would I prefer to be corrected on that one for sure. So could you just share a little bit about yourself?
1: Absolutely. Um, so um, I'm from Houston, Texas. Okay. Um, my dad is from Mexico, my mom is from Houston. Um, both both come from very dysfunctional homes, um, ran away together just to escape the dysfunction. Um, by the time my mom was 16, she had her first child. And um, from a, I'm a third child, come from a very broken home myself. Parents kind of continued the cycle that they were born into. And so I just saw a lot of uh, abuse. Uh, growing up, my father, um mother verbally. Um, and uh, when I was about five, my parents had a relationship with my father. And so then I, um, my my mother became an alcoholic, and she began began to really do what my father did to her to us. She began to beat us and and uh, went through a lot of just childhood trauma. Hmm. Um, by the time I was eighteen, I was so depressed, discouraged, and hopeless, and I attempted suicide. Um, and just kind of found my life down spiraling, drugs and all kinds of stuff. You name it, looking for hope and purpose. Hmm. Um, at 18 years old, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ at the Salvation Army through a basketball ministry.
0: Wow, very cool!
1: Yes, and very so cool. after that, you know, I didn't know what I was gonna do with my life, didn't know what that meant, yeah, and I uh, went to play basketball at East Texas Baptist University, majored in kinesiology, thought I was gonna get into just sports medicine, yeah, and um, ended up a pastor. So here I am today. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: very, very cool. One
0: of my good friends, um, Pastor Cornell Jordan, he was also saved through the Salvation Army. And this speaks uh, just of the ministry and the impact they've had on his life. So very, 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 very cool to hear. Very cool to hear. So, you know, I, I got to read through your, your study on Romans 8. What were some reasons that you chose to, to, to write and focus on Romans 8?
1: You know, I took our church through the book of Romans, and it, it, there's so much there. It took us a year to go through it, and even then, we probably um, sped through it. Romans 8, when we sat on that as a church, we saw so much happen um, hmm. as we just preached the word verse by verse. And, you know, some scholars would say Romans 8 is the greatest chapter ever written. Hmm. It's great for salvation and sanctification. Yeah. And so um, when we went through Romans 8, through the life of our church, we end up seeing Um, people saved in one month. I think we saw over a hundred people saved in our church. It was just unbelievable. And then we also saw, you know, believers, you know, new believers and mature believers go through a process of just um, healing, confessing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So much went on through just preaching the text verse by verse. Yeah. And so after that, um, we recognized like, man, Romans 8 was was a, that was a great several weeks in the life of our church. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And then uh, Lifeway reached out to me and said, hey, we want you to write a book. Is there anything pressing on your heart? <laughs> and what was fresh was Romans 8. And I mm. wanted people to understand, you know, it goes from no condemnation to no separation. Mm. I wanted people to understand. I wanted the unbeliever, unbeliever to understand who he is mm. and who his word says that he is. And for that power just to overcome them. And then I wanted Christians to understand Christians who are walking through just whatever struggles, whatever wrestles, whatever shame of sin in their Mm -hmm. lives. I wanted them to understand um, how he really does cover us. And so either way, I knew preaching the text would do whatever God wanted to do in in the lives. So I wrote it for... um, Uh, really for people to understand you can bring your mess to him, Hmm. whether you're an unbeliever or believer, and you can watch his word do a mighty work in our lives. Hmm. So that was my goal and desire in that.
0: Amen. You know, is you're so, when you, you shared a little bit in the beginning, you shared your testimony and then throughout your writing, you're very transparent. And, um, and honestly, as I, I read over the courage that it takes to be transparent in a day that, in my estimation, where people are trying to shape um, an idea for you to be current to take that courage, where did you find the courage to be transparent? And um, yeah, specifically in a world that's quick to cancel people they don't agree with. You know what I mean? So,
1: it, yeah. You know, I think I got exhausted of being fake. Hmm. Um, I was t- I wasn't I was I wasn't living in freedom. I was in bondage. To, mm. to being fake and I thought if I was fake and I played the role I thought I was supposed to play then I would be accepted but if I showed people who I was or, or who I am then mm. I would get rejected yeah. um you know it was it was it's hard for me to fathom God's unconditional love because I've always received conditional love from people And so I just thought, well, that's a quotable
0: quote there. That is a quotable quote.
1: And I just thought, man, if all my life has been performance based and performance Mm. driven and people loved me and accepted me based off my performance then as a believer, I certainly have to hide all of my junk. Otherwise, I'll be rejected. Now, Mm. that's what I thought. And that's what I felt. And so I came to the place and I recognized, like, I'm tired of fighting in the dark. I'm tired of carrying the shame. And I wanted to be set free. And the way to be set free was to bring that out to the light. Hmm. You know, the enemy's battles in the dark hmm. and our battles out in the light. And that's where yeah. he loses. And that's yeah. where uh, shame loses its powers out in the light. And so I just thought, you know what? I know I'm going to pay for this. And I have. Hmm. Not everyone thinks that pastors should be this authentic and transparent. Hmm. Um, but I knew that I'm willing to take that criticism because I want everybody else who's in bondage to their past or even to their present to bring it out and to find that grace in Christ, to find that freedom. You can't find freedom when you fake it. Hmm. And I wanted people to be set free. Wow, and
0: uh, I appreciate your the courage that um, it takes to be transparent. I'm a person that uh, values transparency, and um, I it resonated with me, and um, appreciated. If somebody's listening today, and maybe they're at a place like you said, some people are not real interested in pastors or missionaries being authentic. Do you have any encouragement for somebody that may be in the place of thinking, "Hey, I'm tired of faking it. I'm tired tired of faking it, but I just don't
1: know if I want to take that step." Do you have some maybe some guidance for them? I do. You know, I think sometimes we think, you know, if there's any shame we're dealing with or is there, if there's any sin and we're afraid to confess because we're afraid of how we'll be viewed. We're afraid to lose our, our, our missionary status. We're afraid that, I'm not saying you have to go write a book and put all your stuff in it. Yeah. I'm not saying you got to jump on Facebook and say, all right, here it is. Here's all my junk. I don't believe that we should give our pearls a swine. I think we'd hmm. be very careful. I think step one in finding hmm. freedom is confessing to our Father that, that, hmm. that is step one. Confess to the Father, get it out. I've once heard it said: "Is what can you tell um, a God who knows everything? Well, hmm. anything, yeah. anything. Yeah. He already knows whether you journal it, whether you go out by by yourself and verbalize it to Him. Step one: tell Him. Yeah. And then step two: maybe, maybe not. Um, I believe it's important. First John one nine confess your sins one to one another and you'll be forgiven and find a brother or sister you trust hmm. and you can share your failures with, and it may set them free and leave it there. You know, yeah. if God calls you to go to Facebook, I'm not sure he will, but do it if you feel led to, but you don't have to take your stuff and put it on social media. Um, I think it's number one step, go to the father and yeah. be freed, go to the father. That'd be my encouragement to you. It's yeah, good word. Good word. Good word.
0: You, in the focus of, you know, of of your writings is Roman eight, how, do, how does, and you mentioned it about shame. How does Roman eight Romans, Romans chapter eight help us with understanding and addressing shame in our lives?
1: Uh, well, you know, shame is something that I, I've i always dealt with because of the mm-hmm. things that I've done and things that have been done to me, uh, I've shared this before, it's in my book, yeah. but uh, I was molested as a child by family members those who are supposed to take care of me and love me. And so I wore that shame. I felt hmm. so disgusting. I felt embarrassed. I felt shameful. And then, you know, I go on a downward spiral and do so many bad things, you know, immorality, drug use. And then as a believer, I carry that shame for the decisions that I made. Then as a Christian, as a new believer, I thought, okay, I'm not going to sin anymore because I'm a Christian. Hmm. I, had, I didn't have, you know, I had no, right theology. I just thought I was set free. I'm forgiven. I'm a new person, but then sin crept in my life again. And I just, as in college, I was, man, I just felt like I was disqualified from his love hmm. and from his mission in my life. Hmm. And so shame was there, you know, shame kept me stuck, um, in the present. It kept me tied to the past and it blinded me, uh, from the future. Hmm. I just, I was in a cycle. And the reason why I love Romans eight, is because when we deal with shame, we typically give ourselves a sentence. Hmm. Shame will tell us you are now sentenced to be disqualified. Hmm. You are now sentenced to not being used by God. Hmm. You are now sentenced to shame. And whatever it may be, we give ourselves this sentence, this life sentence, based off the sin that we've committed. You know, Romans 8.1, the reason why I love it, because there is now. I love this. When you break these words apart, therefore, there is now, right Mm -hmm. now, right in this Mm -hmm. present moment. It it means we don't have to wait for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to wait till he comes back. It's right now. There is no condemnation. This word condemnation is a legal term, right? It's this this judicial term that you are sentenced by a judge to something. You are condemned for your actions. Now, it doesn't mean that the actions that we we did are not true or negated. No, because there's still consequences to our sins. There's still earthly consequences. But praise God that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Meaning, those actions have lost their eternal power, hmm. and those actions that we have committed, um, we sentence ourselves to being disqualified. And Jesus says, "No, no, no. you you are guilty. Yeah. There are consequences." but you are not disqualified from my love. Hmm. I can use your failure failure for your good and for my glory. Now you have to be very careful when you say this. You know, there are people on one side who are like, oh, praise God, I can still be used in spite of my failure. Praise God that shame doesn't have the last word. So there's that aspect, which is true. Then there's the other aspect that people are saying, wait, 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 you can't get off the hook that easy. That sounds like cheap grace. Hmm. So here's what I'm saying. I am not saying that we lower the standard of holiness. No, mm-hmm. no, no. We pursue holiness. We don't yeah. lower the standard. But I am saying you open the window of grace. Hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes um, we're so eager to receive that grace, um, but we're also eager to withhold that grace yeah. uh, for others. And so um, that's why I love that. Um, no condemnation. Shame loses its power and its authority over our lives.
0: Hmm. Good work. Very good word. One of the other things,
1: and you've, you've mentioned it
0: a little bit um, about the pain um, in the past, and maybe things that were done to us, um, or um, or maybe the things we've we've done to ourselves. Maybe there's somebody listening in today that may be in that place where they're struggling with the pain. They have pain, and it's the things done to the done to them, or the things they've done to themselves. How can you share some wisdom and insight? How they can bring that to the Father, and um, what that looks like.
1: Sure, you know um one of the one of the greatest things that it did for me um, it tor- it tormented my soul. You know, people that are called to ministry, missionaries, um, lay leaders, whatever it may be, we have a level of expectation that we place in ourselves. Hmm. Um, we want to live above reproach. Um, we want to be seen uh, as people of peace. We want to be seen as messengers of God as ambassadors. And then other people put us on a pedestal as well. Hmm. And I think we have to remember um, that he called us, not because we are so gifted and we are so talented and that we're elite players that he needs to accomplish his mission. No, no, that's not it at all. Yeah. Um, he has given us giftings, and he has given us a calling, but all, our calling well, calling is based off of his love. Hmm. and plan for our lives to accomplish his mission, it wasn't based off of our performance. And so when he calls us to this mission, um, what we don't see is after the I do moment we have with Christ is that he is committed for better or for worse to us. And I think if we're not careful, we think that he has called us for just the better because we're so great, Hmm. We should pursue that. But I think we have to remember that even in our worst, he is there. Hmm. So to the missionaries, to the lay leaders, to the pastors, you will have a moment of failure Hmm. in the middle of your ministry. I Hmm. I don't care what it is. Hmm. You're going to have it. You're, you're gonna have it, and I don't mean to sound negative, but I want to free you up. You're not gonna stop sinning just because you're called to ministry. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> but you know, we should aim and strive to live above reproach. But when we have that moment of failure, whatever it may be, uh, the enemy is gonna want to capitalize on it. Yeah, and what the enemy is gonna want to do is say, "You're done." You don't deserve to be in this position. You don't deserve to be used by God. God's calling on your life is diminished. The anointing is no longer there. The favor is gone. Hmm. And what's even worse is when we're banging our head against the wall because ministry doesn't seem to be working, we're going to take it back to that moment of failure or sin. Hmm. And we're going to say, this is what I deserve. Of course, he's not going to use me because I'm a sinner. Of course, it's because of my failure. Well, what we're doing in that moment is we are thinking that his call is based off of our works. Hmm. And all of a sudden we go from a uh, grace-based ministry to a works-based ministry. Hmm. And so it's a reminder that his grace and his call is not based off our works, but we do that. We do that. So how do you set yourself free so the enemy doesn't um, abuse you in that moment and use you and belittle you? Well, I think you confess. Hmm. I think you confess so that if ministry isn't going well, you don't go back to that sin and think it's it's because of that sin that you've been hiding, hmm. and now this is payback. You know that's like that's karma, right? We're thinking yeah. it's karma, yeah. Um, and and that we don't believe in that. And and so I think what you do to be set free is you can again you go to the Father, you confess that sin, you confess to one another, you keep doing ministry. That way, the enemy do- loses its power, and yeah. so in shaming you. And so, again, um, to the ministry leader, um, I, we're, we're going to fail. We're going to yeah. sin for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is true before and after our call in Christ, uh, hmm. but confess it. i oh, confess it so the enemy doesn't use it to shame you or make you think that you're being punished in ministry yeah. because of that sin. Yeah. So it's, I know it's a word. very long answer, but I no, no, know. no.
0: Excellent, 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 excellent answer. You, you know, I, as you look through the the topics you address in the book, you didn't address any like easy ones. So I'm going to move from uh, I, that one was, you know, <laughs> that that one the very difficult ones. Um, the next one is uh, misconceptions of suffering that exist, wow. um, that exist in the, the church today and in the world today. And how, how can we grow in <clears throat> an understanding of suffering and maybe some of the misconceptions that we have, um, yeah. About suffering.
1: You know, I, when I, when I entered ministry, my first senior pastor job, um, I suffered so much. I suffered in every aspect of the word suffering. I suffered through, um, anxiety, deep, deep, deep depression, you know, Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, that he despaired of life itself. Hmm. I, was hmm. I was there. I was there. As a pastor, I was so depressed. I felt like the people hated me. My hmm. giftings weren't working. The church, we were losing people. And I fell into a really depressed place. And I felt like I was suffering mentally. Hmm. Uh, my wife and I went through a couple of death threats, hmm. um physically. Uh, my body went, I went through autoimmune disorder, all kinds of stuff was happening. And I felt like it was, you know, this word suffering, we can all put our own definition on it, right? What it means. Yeah. And it's, it's, pain, it's hardship, mental, physical, but we all walk through it. Um, you can't escape suffering. It'll knock on your door. It'll find you. It's part of the, the broken world we live in. It's part of the fall, the fall. And, um, so here's what ended up happening to me. Hmm. What I thought I knew about suffering, that theology was shattered uh, and redefined. For a while, I think I had social media theology on suffering. I'd listen to clips or I'd believe certain things, you know, or sometimes I'd believe things, would wasn't even sure why I believed it, because people will often say, even you know, in the church world, they would tell you, hey, you're suffering, because that means God has something great for you around the corner. Hmm. Well, is that true uh, on the other side of this earth? Yes. Here on earth? No, no. My, my sister just suffered through 50 days of COVID, a godly woman, and she passed away. And so how is that, you know, that statement's not true for her. Um, if people are meaning like you get ready, you're going to see this church begin to grow because you're suffering. That means God has something great for you. Well, may, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. yeah. She passed away. Now we can say, yeah, her, her, Yes, now she's in eternity with Christ. That is a better, you know, there right. is something better. Right. But when people speak to it as if here on earth, get ready, you're suffering. So here on earth, you're going to receive your reward for suffering. Ah, the way they're speaking to it, I don't believe it's true. Hmm. God doesn't, we are not owed compensation for our suffering here on earth. Hmm. We're, just, mm-hmm. we're just, we're not owed that. Yeah. But what I thought is if I'm suffering here on earth, well then, I get. I better get ready for my earthly compensation. Hmm. I was. I kept looking in my spiritual bank account. Like, when is it coming, God? You owe yeah. me. You yeah. owe me. I've, I've suffered for you. Where is it? I thought that, and then I thought He was punishing me. Hmm. God is suffering. I'm suffering, and He's punishing me hmm. because of my sins. Maybe, yeah. because of whatever. Um, and so. There was a lot of misconceptions that I had or I was suffering because my faith was too small uh, until I finally dig in the text, especially here in Romans, man, suffering, you can't escape it. You're going to experience it because of Genesis three. Nobody escapes suffering. It's part of life. Now, if God allows us like Joseph to suffer, in chapter 37, 38, 39, and then finally after 13 years of suffering here on earth, he sees this quote-unquote compensation. Praise God. Thank yeah. you, God. But we are not owed that. Hmm. And to live as if we are owed it, you can live a miserable life because you're going to keep waiting for that quote-unquote earthly blessing, but you may not be owed that. Yeah. What, did, what did Paul get? What did Peter get? man. They they, yeah. they were persecuted. Where was that nice car? Where was that mansion? Where was it? Yeah. They didn't see it.
0: Yeah.
1: And they got their reward was well done, good and faithful servant. Hmm. So if our goal is to suffer well, hmm. and the only way you can suffer well is to know God well. And if the end goal to, to suffer well so that we can stand before our father, and he says, Well done, good, well done, good and faithful servant, hmm. praise God. Yeah. Now, in between that, if he chooses to give us earthly blessings, thank you, Father. Yeah. I don't deserve it. You know, you didn't have to do it. Yeah. Thank you. But my goal is still well done, good and faithful servant. That's good word. Great word. In Romans 8, were there nuggets
0: you took out of Romans 8 that helped you get to this point of understanding of suffering?
1: Yes. Um, the, uh, the nuggets were, you know, and, and I wrote it in there. Um, I believe the nuggets were just that, you know, chapter four talks about suffering. It talks Hmm. about, you know, the suffering is the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. Hmm. And so what I do is I open up that chapter by talking about my misconception of suffering. And then I break through the text. What does God's word have to say about suffering? And so I think, I think it was great to be able to look at the text because what you want to do is, is you don't want to um, hold on to these mis- earthly misconceptions about suffering. Yeah. You want to look at God's word. What does God's word have to say? For sure. And I love it in in Romans um, in Romans eight. You look at verses eighteen and forward. He, uh, he talks about this day of reveal, hmm. and how this day of reveal is that day of, um, you know, currently you see creation and there's groanings and there's like this these. Earthly pains and there's this, um, this brokenness between us and humanity, us and God, us and creation, uh, us and and, and animals, and that one day on this great day of reveal, it's revelation when one day everything will be made new, everything will be made whole again, and that's our aim. And so the little nuggets I took were just that of like, man. We can expect things to be right here on this side, hmm. but one day everything will be made whole again. Yeah. And, you know, I told the, the congregation this, it's like, can you imagine one day scripture says that the children will play in, in the lion's den, yeah. they'll play with cobras. Like what? Our yeah. mind can even fathom that, For sure. um, but, but we're going to suffer. Yeah. Cancer is yeah. going to hit. We're going to suffer. Depression's going to hit. We're going to suffer. Yeah. Um it's it's part of it. It's part yeah. of it. And not to be discouraging, but there's a greater hope that we hope in.
0: That's good word. Good word. One of the other chapters, like I said, that none of them are you you tackled the tough, tough subjects. And the next one I wanted to ask you about was the battlefield. Could you just share and unpack the
1: battlefield for us? Absolutely. You know, I talk about the battlefield of the mind. Hmm. The mind is is this something that um I've always been paralyzed by my thoughts. Hmm. My thoughts have, al- I've, have always paralyzed me because our beliefs turn into our behaviors. Hmm. And I would begin to get in this cycle of a false belief system about who I was in Christ and who God said he is. And um, especially in the midst of my suffering, it would challenge my belief system. And I would, for some reason, I would choose to hold on to the things that were false. I don't Mm. know why I'm wired that way. It's easier for for me to believe lies Mm. and to believe things that are not true than to believe things that are true. I tend to to lean on to the worst case scenario versus the positive part. Mm. And when I would live in this cycle and my mind would cycle through lies, like the enemy would whisper lies, like, You're no good. You're disqualified. You can't do this. People don't like you. You don't have the skills to do it. You're not a great communicator. You would never grow this ministry. You would never reach people. I believe that. And I began to function that way. And it paralyzed me. And the word of God was so hard for me to believe and to trump those lies. Mm -hmm. And so it paralyzed me. And I had to constantly wake up every day and choose What am I going to believe today and fight against the whispers of the snake? And I had to wrestle to believe the roars of the lion Hmm. of God's word and God's truth. And so I had two things I can believe, the whispers or God's truth, the roars of the lion that are so powerful and loud. Hmm. And sometimes it was easy for me to fall into self-pity and the cycle of self-pity and believe the lies instead of the truth. And so the battle full of the mind, you know, I don't believe I'm the only one who deals with that. There's no way I'm the only person here on earth who believes, um, tends to want to believe uh, the lies and the whispers of the enemy. Um, You know, we have, you know, there's a a study out there um, that we had the average person. I don't know how they count this. I don't know how they study this. But the average person has between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. Wow. 60,000 thoughts per day. <laughs> and and of those thousand thoughts, 80% are negative thoughts. So think wow. about that. This is a study by Cornell University. And I wrote in the okay. book, a study by Cornell University that the average person has between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts. Mm. Out of those thoughts, out mm. 80% are negative and 95% are repeated negative thoughts. Wow. So if that's the average person, I would say I'm the average. That means most of my day filled with 80% negative thoughts, and then Hmm. 95% are recycled and repeated. Hmm. Man, that is exhausting. Hmm. That is defeating. That is paralyzing. And so there is a battle out there that starts in our minds because what we believe will affect how we behave. And so that's why I wrote that in this chapter, because I wanted people to be set free. And so I talked about the battle. I talked about how do we defeat the battle if we know that battle is real. And I talk about, here's my battle. You know, I talk through several battles. I battle through what people say about me. What are people saying? What do they think about me? You know, this podcast now, I'm already thinking, what are the listeners, are they judging me? Yeah. Are they thinking, oh, man, this is helpful? Or are they thinking this guy's insane? He's not making any sense. To-. So th- that's already a battle I already have. Yeah. It's already there. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm going to get off here and think, how did I do? Did yeah. I make any sense? Did I help anybody? Battle number two. So what they say about me is always going through my mind. Hmm. And I know some of this is people can easily say, well, get over yourself. Know the word of God. It's not about you. And people have said that to me. By the way, they have said that. When I have shared, like, man, here's what I think about my. I literally had people say, literally, this just what this just happened two weeks ago. I preached in a university. I got off the stage and I asked the chaplain, "Hey, was that okay? You think they connected?" And he said, "It's not about you." It's like, oh gosh, that was harsh. <laughs> but I, but I guess he's right. And so you know, I'm I'm playing with what do they think about me. And, um, battle number two is what do I, what do I say about myself? Mm-hmm. So I'll get off this podcast or I'll get done preaching a sermon thinking, oh, that was, that was dumb. Oh, I didn't communicate the way you wanted to communicate. Now Now live in that circle. What do they say about me? What do I say about myself? They're self-inflicted. Uh, and then there's my, I, I, still deal with depression. I wish I didn't, but it's still a battle that I have a seasonal depression. So then I have to fight through my depression. Mm-hmm. Is that my depression speaking? Mm. Is that, is that a real thought? Is that, so then I got to cycle through that in battle number four, which is a battle to get through. Well, what does God say about me? What does God say about me? And typically in that order, I get to that last and not first, Mm. I don't ever get off the stage and think, what does God say about me? That's where Mm. I'm going to sit. No, it's what do they they think? How did I do? Then it's gosh, self-inflicted. That was dumb. Then it's all right. Well, is that depression or is that real? Then I finally land to all right, God, what do you say? And how do I believe that over the lies that I keep cycling through? Yeah. So I talk yeah. all about that in this chapter, yeah. and you know, it's it's chapter two for a reason. It's right up front, but that's that's the battle of the mind.
0: Yeah. I got one or two more questions for you. The the, the second to last one is there, you wrote about eight different subjects or eight, eight different themes. Was there one of those that maybe you changed your thoughts and um, perspective has changed on in the last few years or one even maybe in the process for writing something that might have changed or, or shifted a little bit in the process?
1: You know, I wrote eight chapters, eight different topics. Um, I, probably, I probably wrote about 24 chapters before I landed on these eight. Wow. I have a lot of writing because I wanted to write in a way that um, put myself in a position that I was vulnerable and transparent, that I felt like I knew I wasn't alone and I wanted to free people up, hmm. but I didn't want to glorify my struggles. Okay. I knew the struggles would be the bait to bring people in to listen but I don't want that to be the glorifying factor in these chapters. I wanted it to be the word of God. And that's why I go through, it's a, an exegetical approach, literally breaking down verse by verse, because I knew if we peel back the layers and get in the meat, that's where the healing happens. That's what, so I didn't want to just give a story and someone say, ah, I can relate to that, man, I feel much better about myself, but no, now that we identified the wrestle and struggle, how do we get past it? How do we get healing? How do we get? So I think the chapter that I probably would say hasn't changed, but maybe I wish I would have been a little more transparent. Um, is chapter, uh, it's I believe it's three. Philophobia. Hmm. Uh, philophobia is this word I discovered when I was writing this book. It's the fear of loving or being loved. Hmm. Um, I tend to be, and I wish I was more transparent in that chapter. And I think the reason why I wasn't is because it, it, whenever you are writing a book, whenever you're preaching, whenever you're You have to be careful to some degree. I do anyway. What's the balance between a fresh wound and a scar? Mm. A scar for me to write about was easy because it's in the past. Mm. A wound wasn't so much because it's still in the present. I'm still working through it. Mm. I think chapter three is that for me. Mm. I think I may have wrote in chapter three as if it was a scar, but I think it was, I didn't really know it was, it's still a wound that Mm. I'm working through. Mm. philophobia is the fear of, of loving or being loved. I am learning. I think I have learned to protect myself. I give shallow love. I'll high mm. five. I'll, I'll hug on you. I'll pray for you. I'll know you by name, know your kid's name, but you're not going to get too close to me mm. because I'm tired of being hurt mm. and I'm, and I'm, and I'm walking through pain, church pain. And so I'm, I'm, I'm relearning how to love again. Yeah in a way that opens myself up to being hurt again. Hmm. And when you're so wounded, it's like you become very guarded because you don't know how much blood you have left to give. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in life I recognize that I will unintentionally hurt people hmm. intentionally and people will unintentionally or intentionally hurt me Yeah, and learning through that. How do I let God love me? How do I love others? How do I let people love me again? Chapter three, I wish I would have written it as in the present tense versus in the, you know, in the past tense. Hmm. And Hmm. um, because I think in the present tense, it maybe, maybe would have helped more people.
0: Yeah.
1: But I think I was still really guarded. So I didn't want people to know that I was still hurting. Yeah. And so I think if I could go back and you're asking the question, what would, what would change? I think it'd be that chapter. I think I'm still learning that as a minister, when you continually get, you know, I I don't know. I don't know how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, knowing that Judas was going to betray him. Yeah. Knowing that Thomas was going to doubt him, knowing that Peter uh, was going to deny him. How did he wash their feet? Hmm. You know, it's easy for me to wash the feet and serve the people who are loving me and lavishing love on me because there's a return on my investment. It's true. But how do I wash the feet of people knowing that yeah. they're going to hurt me and there's not going to be a return on my investment? Yeah. I don't know. I'm still learning that. I wish yeah. I can do that like Jesus. But right now it's like it's easy for me to wash the feet of those who love me, but it's not easy for me to, to wash the feet of people who will betray me. And I think every minister, every leader, every missionary will experience a Judas in their midst. They will experience a Thomas and they will experience a Peter. And how do we love them well? Mm -hmm. And on the other end, we may unintentionally be that Judas to somebody. We will. We will unintentionally be that Thomas. We will unintentionally be that Peter. And Lord, we don't want to, but we're human and we're broken and we probably will. Yeah. And so I wish I would have written that chapter differently.
0: Yeah. As you look um, look to the future, what's something you're excited about?
1: Oh man, Um, I'm excited. Um, I think just about continuing to see. um, There's several things. One, I'll talk from a personal. Um, I have I have four children, family of Mm. six gosh, I'm loving, I'm loving walking with my children. You know, I used to put ministry first and they got the crumbs of ministry. Yeah, And, and I, I've learned at 38, how to balance out my ministry and how to put them first. And it's, I, don't, I haven't regretted a day of it. I, I would come home with regrets because I'm getting home at nine o'clock at night and I didn't get to put my kids to bed again. Yeah, And I, I live with shame and regret. And now it's so great to put my head on the pillow and think, man, that was a good day with my family today. That's awesome. So I'm looking forward to that when it comes to the family aspect and raising little warriors for Jesus Christ. And my kids can say, I had a father who didn't only preach it, but lived it. That's my goal for them and my wife.
0: That's phenomenal.
1: As Number two, as a, as a as a minister and as a leader, um, I'm looking forward to growing to a, a healthy position. Every minister brings their baggage into ministry, but I'm looking forward and working through that and leading well. Hmm. And um, before, I think my aim for the church was how do we grow? How do we grow? How do we grow? Hmm. And I was missing the, the depth and I was missing the health. Hmm because I just wanted to go wide, but I wasn't going deep. And I'm recognizing the more I focus on going deep, getting healthy, yeah, um, the more naturally um, wide we will get. Yeah. Because if we're healthy, we will grow, and we will accomplish the great commission yeah. to go and Amen. make disciples. Amen. But if our goal is just to go reach people so we can say we're growing and we're not making disciples, I'm, I, that's not sustainable. But if we're making disciples, the growth, quote unquote, if, will happen naturally yeah, if we're making deal. true disciples. Good deal, good deal.
0: And you—you you mentioned you're you're heading to Zambia,
1: um, maybe in
0: in a, in a few months or a few weeks. What's one thing you love about Africa?
1: Oh, the people, <laughs> the people of Africa. Yeah. Oh, the the hearts, yeah. the authenticity, the passion, the love, yeah. um, the hospitality. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love yeah. it all. And, um, you know, when we go to Zambia and we, I have a service there, I just, I come back and I tell, um, my staff, the people worship differently. Hmm. They worship differently. They don't hmm. need the, they don't need the smoke. They don't need the flashing lights. Um, and so I love the people of, Am- of Zambia. I love it. Easy. Amazing. Pastor, it has been
0: awesome to spend some time with you today. And um, once again, um, you're not alone. Uh, that's I think that's one thing that resonated as you wrote. Um, the chapters all resonated with me. So you're not the only one that has the battlefield in your mind. At least we're two together. Um, that's right. And uh, talking about shame and, and suffering. The, the topics just, you know, they, they hit home to me. And so I appreciate your transparency and the courage it takes to write.
1: Um, will you pray for us today? I will. Absolutely. Uh, Father, we pray. We pray today for the the people listening, the missionaries, the pastors, the leaders, uh, your children, God, who are called by your name for your work. We know that the enemy is real. We know that the battle is real and the enemy will target us through our failures. He will target our minds. He will discourage us through our work. He will do everything he can to paralyze us to keep us from pursuing you and your mission. And I just pray that through your word, through your power, the people listening, whatever they're bonded to, whatever they're believing, that's not from you. Would you free them up through your word, through your word and your word alone? Would you bring freedom? Would you bring strength? Would you bring power and boldness, God? May their lives be marked by your fingerprints in their lives and your ministries. It is in Jesus' name.